let's uh, meet together tonight in Acts chapter, I'm going to say 22, we're going to spend uh, a little bit of time in chapter 21 um, as well uh, to begin with, and uh, so you uh, make your way there. Um, it's, uh, it's good to have uh, Brother Salazar and his wife and, and uh, some of Crystal's family uh, with us tonight. They weren't actually supposed to be here, they were headed, and, oh, and Paul's brother, i got to mention Paul's brother, I don't want to be offended, um, but they were headed out today and uh, got turned around, and it's a real bummer when you got to spend an extra night with the grandkids, it, it is, it's torture, it's bad, and uh, so you pray for them, I'm sure they've got places to go and things they need to get done, and so uh, you pray that they can uh, get out of here uh, today. Where's Melissa? Did uh, Brother Travis get to Topeka? Wow. Slow going. Pray for Brother Travis. You pray for him in a number of, of uh, matters. Uh, number one, that he can get this goofy training settled, uh, get it finished so he can get home to his family. It's been like another law enforcement academy all over again. Uh, 13 weeks of canine training. And so pray for him and pray for his travel tonight that he'll get into uh, uh, Topeka in, uh, in good shape. Great preaching this morning. I uh, told my wife this afternoon, I, I said, our son, son preached with great boldness this morning, and I appreciate that. And he didn't even use the word poop. <laughs> I'm really thankful for that. Because Brother Paul used it Sunday night. So we talked about that at staff meeting on Tuesday. I don't know if it'll change anything, but... <laughs> we ended our uh, last study with many of Paul's friends trying on multiple occasions to convince him not to go to Jerusalem because they were afraid of what might happen to him should he go there. But we understand from our study that Paul was not to be denied, and so his friends conceded uh, with the words, the will of the Lord be done. Let me just recap some things that we learned last Sunday night about the will of God. Uh, first of all, it's real. Now, the will of God is real. Now, there is a general will of God for all of us, that is, his will for you in some areas is the very same for me in some areas. There's the general will of God. He wants all of us to read our Bible, all of us to pray, all of us to give, all of us to serve, all of us to witness. That's God's will for every single believer. But then there's a particular part of God's will that is peculiar to your life and peculiar to my life. So God's will is real. And then we learned this last week as well. Sometimes, well-meaning people who love you very much can get in the way of God's will for your life because God's will for you, or God's will for you doesn't match their will for you. And then we talked about this. We should surrender to God's will now. 
It's not one of these things where, God, you show me what you want me to do, and then I'll decide whether or not I'm going to surrender to that. That's not how it works. We saw a couple of passages last week. This is how it works, doing before knowing. So we say this, God, here's my life, here's my heart. I'm surrendering everything to you. And it doesn't matter if you're a teenager or an adult. There needs to come a place and time in your life where you say, God, I'm yours. Whatever you want of me and for me is good with me. And then you start doing the things that you know God wants you to do. And as you get further down the line, God will begin to reveal to you some more specific things with regard to your life. But you surrender to God's will now. And then a fourth thing, just because somebody's having a hard time, that they're out of God's will. And then finally, we learned this. When others follow what they know to be God's will, support them in it. In the verses following verse 14, which is where we left off last week in chapter 21, Paul, when, when, they, when they finally conceded to Paul and said, the will of the Lord be done, then they all traveled together and they made their way to Jerusalem. And once they arrived in Jerusalem, Luke says that the brethren gladly received them. And then the next day after their arrival, Paul met with James. We know that James is the brother of Jesus. Uh, he's also the head of the church at Jerusalem. And so Paul sits down with James and with the elders of the church there at Jerusalem, and he begins to share with, with this group all of the things that God had done through his ministry to the Gentiles. And the Bible says that they, they celebrated that and they glorified God. And so here's Paul. He's in Jerusalem. He's been there two days now. There's not been any persecution. There's not been any suffering. There's not been anything that these people were worried about, so everything's good, right? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the captain has just turned on the fasten your seatbelt sign. And for good reason. Because Paul's journey is about to experience some very, very serious turbulence. As Paul was meeting with James and the elders, James warns him that there is a, a group of law-keeping Jews who have some real issues with Paul. Now, keep in mind, these were saved Jews. These were believers. These were Christians. They just had not gotten totally away from uh, from their customs, and really that's what part of Romans chapter 14 is all about. We'll not get into that. Paul didn't make a big deal about uh, them observing some of the, uh, the customs, even after they got saved, and that was not a big deal to Paul. But I want to touch on a few things here at the close of chapter 21 that will hopefully lay a foundation for our message from Acts chapter 22. Look in, in, in verse 20 of chapter 21. You still with me? 
All right, chapter 22 or 21, verse 20. And when they heard it, that is, the things that God had done through Paul uh, to the Gentiles, they glorified God and said uh, unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. So here we see that Paul was misunderstood. These Jews had heard and propagated slanderous hearsay about Paul. Note the phrase there, and they were informed of thee. In other words, they didn't know this for sure. They had not seen this. They had not been present when Paul was teaching and preaching these kinds of things, but it was on Facebook. So, Hey, church, let's remember that not everything we read or hear is true. So before you hop on some slanderous bandwagon, just make sure you've got your facts straight. Now, back to what was said about Paul. They had heard, somebody had told them that Paul had been telling the Jews that they needed to ignore Moses and not pay attention to any of that and don't circumcise your children. But here's the truth of the matter. Paul never said anything like that. Paul never said that one time. He never told them to to forget about their Jewish heritage. Now, here's what he did do. He did tell them that the Gentiles should not be pressured into keeping those same kinds of rituals. He did say that, that don't put that on the Gentiles. It's not fair for you to put that burden on them. So Paul was misunderstood, but here's something else. Paul was misrepresented. Look at verse 27. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him, that is Paul, when they saw Paul in the temple, They stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city Uh, Trophimus and Ephesian, when they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So here we go again. They see this Ephesian guy, this Greek, and he's walking around with Paul. And so what do they do? They just suppose that Paul had brought him into the temple. Again, they didn't know it for sure. They didn't actually see it. But somehow they felt that mere supposition was good enough to create an uproar. Which led to Paul being mistreated. Look at verse 30. And all the city was moved 
And the people ran together. And they took Paul and drew him out of the temple. And forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. So Paul was beaten. And I think we can safely assume here tonight that he would have been beaten to death had it not been for the intervention of the military leader that was on duty. And again, this was all the result of unfounded accusations. Now, I tried to come up with some equivalent uh, to this uproar and this uprising uh, and the nearest thing I could come to was the recent confirmation hearings of Justice Brett Kavanaugh. What a circus that was. No evidence, no proof, no credible witnesses, yet people were willing to destroy the man's career simply because they didn't like what he stood for. And that's exactly what was happening to the Apostle Paul. And so here he is, he, he's misunderstood, he's misrepresented, he's, he's beating, beaten, he's being mistreated, and for what? For serving God. That's all. For serving God. Let's go on, verse 33. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. Some cried one thing, some another. They couldn't even get on the same page. Some said one thing, some said another. Among the multitude, and when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. And when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. For the multitude of the people followed after crying away with him. So are you getting the picture here tonight? This was a bloodthirsty, angry mob who literally wanted to kill the apostle Paul. This wasn't a group of spoiled millennials masquerading as bad boys like a bunch of Antifa punks. Sorry, I just had to say that. No, these people were the real deal. There were no masks. There was, there was no, they wanted to kill Paul. And you can bank on it tonight. Had they been allowed to continue to beat Paul, they would have beaten him to death. So this is no game. This is serious. Let's continue to read through chapter 21 and into chapter 22, verse 37. And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Art not thou that, that Egyptian, which before these days madest an uproar, and ledest out into the wilderness four thousand men that were murderers? 
So this guy doesn't even know who Paul is. Evidently, there was some guy that led a bunch of people, 4,000 people outside of the city, created a big uproar. And so this guy thinks, well, you, you must be that guy. But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with his hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue. And here's what he said, verse 1, men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. And he saith, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way, talking about Christians, I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. And also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. It came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light, and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise, and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came unto Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, he came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers, hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise, and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance and saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I am imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. 
And they gave him audience unto this word, and then lifted up their voices, and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. So going back to the last verse of chapter 21, Paul is given the opportunity to speak. And the Bible says that he raised his hand and, and that entire mob fell silent. And they listened to what he had to say. And I would ask you tonight for just a moment to put yourself in Paul's sandals. You've been misunderstood You've been misrepresented. You've been falsely accused. You've been beaten. What would you have said to those who did these things? Put yourself in Paul's place here. How would you have responded to your accusers? I'm talking about those who've, who've shown you nothing but hate. There's probably not anyone here who has not experienced, perhaps minus the beating, and we probably all experienced to some degree some of the same things that Paul experienced. You've been misunderstood. You've been misrepresented. You've been lied about. You've been falsely accused. You've been slandered, and none of it's true. How do you deal with that? How do you handle it? How do you respond? What would you be prone to say? What would I be prone to say? I think this is true. We would be prone to defend ourselves, would we not? We would be prone to do everything we could to make the other person or those other people look bad. It would be like, hey, you're beating me down. I'm going to beat you down. You're slandering me, I'm going to slander you. That's what we would be prone to do. That would be our natural inclination. But what did Paul do? That's what I want to focus on for just a few moments tonight. Look at verse 21. The first thing Paul did is he spoke with respect. Going back to the first verse. Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. Even though he had been disrespected and sinned against, Paul still showed respect. He refused to stoop to the level of his enemies. But not only that, Paul strove to find some common ground. Here's, here's what he said. He said, hey, you're Jews. He said, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus. Now, that was no small thing because Tarsus was a, a leading town, a leading, leading city in their day and time. That was, that was very important. But Paul said, I was, I was born in Tarsus, but I was raised here. I was brought up here in Jerusalem at the feet of the great Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel, some of you probably know, Gamaliel was probably the greatest teacher of that day. So again, this was no small thing. As a matter of fact, that was a big deal, to be brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. 
And he goes on to say, say this, I, I, at one time I was just like you. I too was zealous for God and I was zealous for the law. And he goes on to talk about how his zeal led him to persecute even unto death those who were followers of Jesus. And he points out the fact that that some of those who were listening to him could vouch for what he was saying because they would have been part of the religious leadership that would would have signed the arrest warrants, if you will, for Paul to go to Damascus. So they knew that Paul was telling the truth. Do you see what he's doing? He's finding common ground. But he did one more thing. He focused on Jesus. Begin in verse 6. Paul begins to share his testimony. He begins to talk about his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and how it changed his life. And in the next message or two, we'll spend some time and we're going to learn about the power of our personal testimony. Listen, I think sometimes you undersell the power of your story. Paul recounts seeing a great light that blinded him and, and, and knocked him to the ground. And, and he remembers hearing a voice, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he shares this response. Who art thou, Lord? What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord told him to go into Damascus and there he would learn more. Again, it's doing before knowing. But real quick, can I direct your attention back to verse 19? This is something that that really stood out to me in chapter 22. Look what Paul said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. So this is, again, Paul's encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus, and and, and God begins to explain to to Saul what he wants him to do but his response was Lord no 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 you don't understand they know me they know the man that I used to be they know the kind of life I used to live they know the things that I did church listen to me tonight we should not let what man knows stop us from doing what God said Believe me, that can be a real hindrance to witnessing. I'm talking about people knowing about our life B.C., that is, before Christ. It's like, well, I I can't talk to them. They know I used to drink. They know I used to cuss. They know I used to run around. They they know that I cheated. They, They know this. They know that. I can't talk to them about the Lord. And this is especially an issue for those of us who've been raised here, who have a past here in this area. Listen, that can be a real drawback. But would you listen to me tonight? What is true for me is true for you, and it's this. We lost our past when we found his presence amen and so we ought to use the story of our past to highlight and accentuate the grace of God in our life and here was the Lord's word to to Saul depart 
depart. Paul, none of that matters. Just go. And I believe that's the the Lord's word to us tonight. In order for us to go on for God, we've got to leave the past behind. We've got to do what Paul said in Philippians 3.13, not to move in on Brother Tyler's territory here, but it'll be a few weeks before he gets there, and you'll forget this before you get home tonight. In chapter 3 and verse 13, he said, we've got to forget those things that are behind, and we've got to reach forth unto those things which are before. And then Paul goes on to share the details of God's call to him and how he would be a witness to the Gentiles. And when they heard that word, Gentiles, it was done. They may have been with Paul up until that moment, but look what it says. And they gave him audience unto this word. What word? Gentiles. When they heard that, They were done. It was over. They were through listening to this guy. And they said, away with such a fellow from the earth. For it is not fit that he should live. Now I've taken the long route to where I wanted to get tonight. And that's this. In showing respect and finding common ground. And keeping the focus on Jesus, Paul showed love to those who were showing nothing but hate to him. But why? Why would he show love to those who lied about him, to those who had beaten him? Why, preacher, why would Paul show respect for and try to find common ground with people who wanted him dead? Why would he go the extra mile in keeping the focus on Jesus instead of focusing on his hurts and and how he had been misunderstood and how he had been uh, misrepresented and how he had been mistreated? Why would he do that? And I'll tell you why he did it. It was because of the great love that had been shown to him as a lost man, when he misunderstood and he misrepresented and he mistreated Jesus and those that followed him. Paul said, God was good to me. And Paul loved me in spite of who I was. Paul chose to love his enemies in the same way that Jesus chose to love him when he was his enemy. When he was persecuting Christians and destroying families. And when he was responsible for, responsible for untold numbers of deaths. I doubt that any of us are going to face the, the kind of wrongdoing that Paul faced in Jerusalem. I doubt that we'll ever stand before a, an angry mob who is crying out for our death, of course, unless you venture out on Black Friday. Can I just tell you, that's why I will gladly pay full price for a TV. Man, I'd hate to clock one of those ladies. That just would not be a pretty sight. Some woman come up on me and start scratching and clawing, it's on. So it's just better that I not go. 
And I doubt that any of us are going to get in the kind of situation unless, thank you for painting such a rosy picture of what it may be like someday, Brother Tyler, but um, I doubt if anytime soon we find ourselves in this kind of situation. But I still think there's some application of these things to our lives because we may very well be if we have not already been misunderstood, misrepresented, mistreated. And so the question tonight is, how are we going to respond? Will we fire back in an attempt to defend ourselves? Will we respond by misrepresenting and and mistreating our enemies? Will we return hurt for hurt, hate for hate, harm for harm? Or will we respond in love, knowing that's how Jesus has responded to us? And that's how he would have us respond to those who show us hate. Will we respond in forgiveness, knowing that Jesus has already forgiven us so much? There are a number of examples that I could cite tonight. What about when he was on the cross? suffering at the hands of those who hated him. And Jesus prayed, Father, what, church? What? Forgive them. They had shown him nothing but hate. They had misrepresented him. They had, they had mistreated him. They had misunderstood him. And now they've got him hanging on a cross, And he suffered and he's bled. But yet he says, Father, forgive them. We could talk again about Stephen. And how as he was there being stoned literally to death, he lifted up his eyes toward God. And he said, lay not this sin to their charge. I mean, come on, church, the the guy's on the ground, people are hurling stones at him, they're hitting him in the head, and, and in the chest, and in the back, and they're just hurling these stones at him, one right after another, and somehow he manages to lift his head enough to say, lay not this sin to their charge. And remember, there was a guy standing there named Saul. He's like, here, boys, let me hold your coats. And he stood there, and he watched this man being stoned to death. And I just wonder if maybe that wasn't playing in Paul's mind. How he saw Stephen being misunderstood and misrepresented and mistreated. And yet he found it in himself to love those people. And to pray for them. And to ask God not to lay their sin to their charge. 
I think of Corey Ten Boom there and that Nazi concentration camp. She was there with her sister who had been severely mistreated. Her sister was dying. And she said to Corey, who was having a hard time showing love, especially to one particular prison guard who had so sorely mistreated her sister. And Corey was really struggling with with responding in the right way. And her sister said this to Corey, you've got to show him Christ's love. What about those missionary wives who went to live among the Indians who had previously killed their husbands? One of those husbands being, uh, uh, one of those ladies being Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot. Brother Tyler talked about them last Sunday morning and how they went and they were, they were murdered. Do you realize the rest of that story is this? Those wives went and lived among those same savages and showed to them the love of Christ? How do you do that? How do you show love to those who've expressed nothing but hate to you? Again, you just realize how much Jesus loved you and how much he forgave you when you were so unlovable and so unworthy of forgiveness. I think of the recent movie, Unbroken, about Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini was a prisoner of war during World War II. He suffered unmercifully at the hands of his Japanese captors. When he returned to America, over time, an overwhelming degree of hate welled up in his heart. The desire to get revenge lived with him for years. Until one night, under a tent at a Billy Graham revival, he met Jesus and he got saved. And God changed his heart. And his life from then on was different. So much so that he returned to Japan to share the love of Christ with those same men who years before had shown nothing but hate for him. Let me bring this to a close tonight by just asking this, are we willing to share the love of Christ with those who've hurt us? Are we willing to forgive those who have offended us? Are we willing to do what Jesus did and what Stephen did and what Paul did And what Corey Ten Boom did. 
and what Elizabeth Elliot and those other ladies did, what Louis Zamperini did. It could be a spouse who's been unkind. You're, you're trying to love the Lord. You're trying to serve the Lord. You're, you're doing your best to try to, to, to keep your life on track, not just for you, but for your children. And, and you're living at home with a spouse who's just so unkind and, and so unloving. I mean, come on, it's, not, it's, it, it's well within the realm of possibility. That there are some marriages here tonight in which there has been some misunderstanding. And there has been some misrepresentation. Maybe there's even been some mistreatment. How have you chosen to respond to that? Maybe it's not your current spouse that you're having the issue with. Maybe it's your previous spouse's new spouse that you're having an issue with. Because you know how they treated your spouse. And you know how they're still treating them. Come on. How do you respond to that? How are you going to deal with that? How are you going to handle that? You know what we're inclined to do? Retaliate. Get revenge. Exchange hurt for hurt. Hate for hate. Harm for harm. Maybe you're a parent who's struggling to show love to a child who's been disrespectful and hateful and unappreciative and mouthy and rebellious and dishonest. We okay? Could be an adult child here tonight who struggled for years to honestly love a parent or a step-parent who has abused them. Could be a boss who's mistreated you or a co-worker who's lied about you and they've spread rumors about you at work and they're trying to do everything they can to get under your skin and to get you in trouble and hopefully get you fired. How are you going to deal with that tomorrow? You've got to deal with that tomorrow. Could be friends who betrayed you or a fellow church member. Maybe even someone here tonight who's offended you. Church, how are you going to handle that? How are you going to respond to that? How do you show love to those kinds of people? Well, first of all, you can't. It's not in you. 
It's not natural. It's supernatural. God can love them through you. He can do that. Amen. He can do that. If you'll let him. But pastor, why? Come on, man. Why should I love someone who hates me? They don't deserve to be loved. Why? Because you've been shown love from a Savior that you don't deserve either. And you've been forgiven when you did not deserve to be forgiven. Paul spoke with respect and he found some common ground and he focused on Jesus and in doing all of that he showed love to those who were showing nothing but hate to him. Jesus has set the example. Stephen has set the example. Paul has set the example. Church, we need to emulate those men. Let's pray.